Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 308, where we are talking all about updates on long haul and post-COVID side effects. So we're definitely now in the endemic phase of COVID, meaning it's going to persist, you know, just like the flu or the common cold. Um, It's no longer if you're going to get it, but really when, um, and then when you're going to get it again, and maybe for some yet again. Right, exactly. So today's episode, we're not going to be going into nerdy details on new variants. What we're really going to be focusing on is the mechanisms of your immune system when it is upregulated at time of exposure to pathogen and the aftermath of that inflammatory response in the body and how that can drive prolonged side effects as well as, of course, some functional medicine approaches to mitigate these side effects, resolve them from the root cause, and really harness and modulate or regulate that immunological inflammatory response. Yes, this concept of long haul isn't new or novel to COVID in particular. We see it with Epstein-Barr, we see it with Lyme's disease, and a lot of other, you know, chronic infections. It just happens that a lot of people right now are seeing, you know, fatigue or muscle weakness or, you know, just not getting their respiratory uh, capacity back after COVID. And so we'll be addressing all of that and more today. Absolutely. Before we get into updates on long haul and post-COVID side effects, uh, let's talk about updates that are going on today, today, uh, or in the month of August. So mark your calendar because we're just about a week out from our back to school webinar, which is going to be on the 17th. This is a free webinar. And in this, we will be talking all about immune support for the household, especially focusing on kids back to school. We'll be talking about anything from balanced lunches to ensuring that they're fueled with a good sound breakfast, nutrients of prioritization, as well as balancing out macros, supporting their bodies during cold flu and immune stress times, as well as enhancing cognitive function and behavior and balancing mental health. So all of the big highlights to ensure that your household is empowered for a successful school year, and we'll also be giving some support for the teachers as well. Uh, So that's a free webinar. You can go on over to AllieMillerRD.com to sign up for that, and we'll also be putting links in our newsletter and in today's episode. Yes. You just need to register, nothing else to do, Um, and you can also watch it back archived. We'll make sure we send out the recording if you can't make the live time. Um, And then to go along with that, we're also holding a flash sale on our Food as Medicine for the Whole Family program. It's $100 off right now using the code back to school just spelled out exactly as it is no fancy numbers or anything so b-a-c-k-t-o-s-e-h-o-o-l gets you a hundred dollars off 
that program. Um, and so the food is medicine for the whole family program really spans the entire life cycle, but there's a pretty heavy focus on, um, children and, um, building balanced, you know, lunches and snacks. It's actually five hours of original content. And then we've also gone ahead and curated over a hundred plus hours of podcasts, YouTube, and other content, uh, that applies to all of the different modules. There are 20 plus handouts and worksheets also exclusive to this program. There are four weeks of meal plans. So everything from getting your kids into the kitchen to an immune focused meal plan to a hormone balancing meal plan. Um, and this really covers, you know, the life cycle from fertility to baby led weaning to the elderly population. Um, we walk you through meal planning, a pantry clean out, what to look for on the grocery store shelves and how to really read those labels. Uh, we cover one video each on the importance of our different macros. So carbs, protein, and fat, best choices and best allowance for any family member. Yes. Um, we cover how to be a taste adventure. That's a really fun video that Stella participates in. And then there's a whole module on immune support, which I think a lot of people buy the program just for that. Yeah. I mean, anything from if your child does not have their tetanus shot, what do you do when they get a cut? What is the one, two, three treatment approach? And what do we use topically to prevent infection? Uh, what do we use on scrapes and bruises and so much more? So really packed as far as what your natural medicine cabinet needs to have in it to ensure that you can support any bumps in the road in the wellness journey of the members of your household. And then there's a whole module also on ADHD and mood balance where we talk about stats on Adderall and stimulants and alternate approaches for balanced energy and mood. So go on over and check out Food is Medicine for the Whole Family program. Use the code back to school. You'll save $100 off on that program by using that code. And um, you'll have access to this program for the lifetime of the website. So a resource that you will use time and time again. And again, has those kind of classic questions of anything that could come up in your family's shifts and changes that occur with life. Yes. All right. So before we get into today's content, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Fond Bone Broth. Yes. I always love when Fond is a sponsor at a really timely episode. And I think that for long haul, bone broth is one of my number one go-tos, especially doing a bone broth fast to really upregulate autophagy or that cellular cleanup that the immune system needs to upregulate to get rid of the debris from the die-off from virus that can precipitate more of these long haul like responses. So Fond Bone Broth makes bone broth fasting super easy because you can easily just sip on, sip on four jars a day to get 80 grams of protein. You're going to get that cysteine, which is a antioxidant that can drive NAC or N-acetylcysteine, which can serve as an expectorant, so thinning out mucus and phlegm, also aiding in regulating the response of the white blood cells in the body, which really is a huge harness for our immune response. We know that bone broth also provides us a rich source of glutamine, which is the amino acid that is the fuel source for our gut cells, supporting that brain 
gut access and supporting our gut associated immune response. And then also you're going to get a nice uh, source of glycine, an amino acid that can aid in neuromuscular relaxation, as well as supporting GABA response in the brain, which is an inhibitory compound that can help us to mellow out at times of stress. So for all of that food is medicine in a jar, Fond packs all of that goodness in. And if you refrigerate their jars, which they're stable at shelf temperature, you will get that nice jiggle. So you do know that there's that collagen and gelatin also providing that connective tissue support, good elasticity, support for hair, skin, nails, and further enhancing that gut response. So really like a facelift for your gut. We love Fond Bone Broth because they are not just a nutrient-dense driver for you, but they also are just absolutely delicious flavor profiles that they mix in their artisan jars. Um, The beet poblano serrano blend is fabulous, the turmeric cracked black pepper, the radish and lemon, uh, which is the one that I've been really sipping on in the chicken bone broth. They also have beef bone broth from grass-fed beef bones. Uh, They're really committed to regenerative agricultural practices, which they're making some big overarching company changes, which is even further making us fall in love with them. Um, But from sourcing to quality of produce and proteins, as well as their slow simmering process, they really do it right. And they have a beautifully fantastic flavor profile at the end. Um, And so I know that y'all will enjoy Fond Bone Broth. You can go on over to Fond Bone Broth. That's just F-O-N-D uh, B-O-N-B-R-O-T-H dot com slash Allie Miller R-D. Um, when you go on over to that website, you'll see my picture and a little write-up about my favorite flavors. You can use Allie Miller R-D at checkout and save 15% on your order. Um, again, it's fondbonebroth.com slash Allie Miller R-D and use Allie Miller R-D to save. Okay, so jumping right into things and kind of guesstimating how many people are, are dealing with long haul right now, we're looking at data from a University of Arizona Health Sciences longitudinal study that shows that about 67% of people, so that's two-thirds, with mild or moderate infection develop post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2 infection, PASC, with symptoms that last for more than 30 days after their positive test. So this condition is going to be known as long covid long-haul COVID, post-acute COVID-19, or chronic COVID. And we can also see this develop, especially in patients with breakthrough infections after they receive their vaccine. Yes. In fact, there was recently a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine that found that among uh, just under 1,500 fully vaccinated healthcare workers, uh, 40 of them had SARS-CoV-2 breakthrough infections that were documented. 19% of patients with breakthrough infections still had symptoms six weeks later. And patients with long COVID report prolonged multi-system involvement and significant disability. So by seven months, many patients we're still seeing have not fully recovered. Um, Often when we're looking at that length of time, over six months post-infection, we're seeing systemic and neurological cognitive symptoms. um, And we can see this driving significant symptom burden. So let's break down kind of what the typical symptoms are experienced by those dealing with long haul or long COVID 
are. Sure. So we can kind of break them into categories of general, respiratory or cardiovascular, neurological, and then digestive. Those are kind of the main categories that we will examine today. So the general symptoms, we would see uh, fatigue or tiredness that interferes with daily life. Um, symptoms that get worse after physical or mental effort or exertion. Uh, this is also known as post-exertional malaise. Malaise is the fancy word for fatigue. Uh, fever is also one that we can see that an individual is just going in a borderline fever as a more regular occurring incident um, following the infection. Again, this is three plus months out maybe. Uh, respiratory and cardiovascular symptoms, we can see difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, a persistent cough, chest pain, and then tachycardia or rapid heartbeat, as well as pounding heart or palpitations in the heart. We can see in the neurological world, and then of course we can see that cardio um, myocarditis or that um, inflammation in the cardiovascular system as well following infection. We know in the neurological symptoms, we can see difficulty thinking or concentrating. Often people refer to this as brain fog, headache, um, sleep issues, dizziness or lightheadedness, especially when shifting positioning, pins and needles or neuropathy sensation, changes that uh, continue with smell or taste, as well as mental illness such as depression and or anxiety. And then in the digestive world, we can see chronic diarrhea, stomach pain, or just irregular malformed bowels. And then we can see in the world of systemic rashes and muscle pain or joint pain, as well as changes in women's menstrual cycles. And then it looks like another study here um, identified up to 55 different long-term effects um, other studies have seen up to 74 persistent symptoms, and um, one of these studies identified the five most common as fatigue, which was 58%, headache, 44%, attention disorder, or that's probably like that brain fog, mm-hmm. um, 27%, hair loss, which is one of the most common that I've seen at 25 um, and then difficulty breathing ongoing at 24%. Yes. And, you know, we are seeing more and more of the digestive disturbances, which weren't noted in those top five, um, but especially with the newer variants that we're seeing around. And there's a huge chicken and egg relationship of the microbiome and a COVID infection. And so this is kind of some new information that I really want to break down because I was really digging into the literature and it was remarkable to see, by, by saying chicken and egg, both the influence of infection on driving dysbiosis as well as sterility, and then uh, seeing that even post-infection, the biome not going back into a rebalanced state. And so the microbiome disturbances that occur during an acute infection, if not resolved, are probably one of the main drivers of some of this dysfunction that prolongs in the body. Yes. I mean, I definitely remember studies coming out even early on in this whole COVID situation um, about individuals who had compromised microbiomes being the ones who are more susceptible. So that makes sense. And it it makes sense that it's chicken and egg too. 
Absolutely. So when we're looking at therapeutic interventions and we want to see resolution of long haul, I think starting with the gut is a really great consideration. We know that dysbiosis in the gut contributes to a loss of beneficial microbes because that overgrowth of unfavorable bacteria is going to compete with space so that then there will likely not be ample opportunity for the good gut flora to thrive. And we know that the proliferation of harmful microbes can actually drive a reduction in this micro, microbial diversity for that reason, because it kind of sets up camp and it's playing kind of defense, not allowing the good gut flora to come in. Um, there was an analysis done on COVID-19 hospitalized patients that revealed their fecal microbiomes were deficient in beneficial commensals and yet abundant in gut pathogens. And this leads to the epithelium breakdown and inflammatory response that has actually been shown to increase levels of angiotensin converting enzyme 2 or the ACE2, which is a protein target of SARS-CoV-2. So I'll say that again because it's kind of wild. So the dysbiosis that occurs from time of infection drives more epithelium breakdown and inflammation and so we're starting to see higher circulating levels of ACE2, which is a target of SARS-CoV-2. So when you get the dysbiosis inflammatory response in the tissue lining, that creates more uh, bullseyes, if you, are, if you will, for SARS-2 infection to be targeting. And that means more severe infection outcomes, which is quite remarkable. Um, and as I noted, the research suggests that gut dysbiosis will persist even after the immune system is able to clear the SARS-CoV-2 infection. And so an individual could be testing negative or have recovered, but the gut dysbiosis is going to continue to drive this pro-inflammatory imbalance. And we'll also see in this state of this pro-inflammatory imbalance of the gut that these products will leak out and circulate into our bloodstream and this further exacerbates this inflammatory cascade or these cytokine storms. We're seeing increased pro-inflammatory cytokines, interleukins, and other markers such as tumor necrosis factor that are going to be elevated in a state of inflammation. And there was a study in 2020 in The Lancet that revealed intensive care patients with COVID-19, um, including those that have more acute respiratory disease syndromes, are going to have higher levels of these circulating compounds. And again, the microbiome, when imbalanced, will actually penetrate the gut blood barrier. And so in the bloodstream, we're seeing higher pro-inflammatory cytokines. And this is why when we're doing like a beat the bloat cleanse, we're always focusing on bringing in that GI cleanup, which has that phagocytotic approach to be able to actually eat away at gut lining, making space from that overgrowth and creating opportunity for good gut flora, while we're actually also driving up phage or macrophage-like activity to be able to kind of take out the trash mm -hmm from the debris that creates this pro-inflammatory response during time of killing off a foreign invader. Got it. So that leaky gut could certainly persist too well after For the sure. infection, you know, has cleared. 
Absolutely. Um, and so we also saw in another study from 2020, um, persistent alterations in fecal micro, uh, microbia, and they were looking at this compared to controls that were not infected with COVID. And um, there was a higher abundance of dysbiotic flora strains, and there was an inverse correlation between an abundance of um, an anti-inflammatory bacterium, and then we saw that driving the disease severity. And then looking at one more study in the BMJ gut report, um, looked at two hospital observational studies of 100 patients um, with confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection, um, and their gut microbiome composition was significantly altered in these patients compared with non-COVID positive individuals. Um, and varied with their disease severity. And this was regardless of whether these patients had received any medication, including antibiotics in the hospital. Yeah, so it's pretty remarkable. And I know that we think of antibiotics used when any infection is severe to help to reduce the risk of sepsis. And, you know, that would be a really uncontrolled, mismanaged infection that's taking over the body, essentially. Um, but to that vein, you know, early on, we were talking about the use of berberine or our herbal immune is a big one that I have been having people go on, especially when they're having prolonged respiratory drama because that oil of oregano and that lemon balm and that sage and thyme in there. Um, there's antiviral compounds, there's antibacterial, which also means microbiome balancing if in this dysbiotic state, which is why we use it in our beat the bloat gut cleanse. Um, but that's one that we really think of in the upper area. Um, those compounds really powerful for SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, but also in the ear, nose, and throat space. So when we're dealing with respiratory stress, that's one that can really have that double effect. I just thought it was wild to see that we usually think of like an antibiotic, like an atom bomb, if you will. Sure. But that the dysbiosis still persisted, mm -hmm. you know, beyond even if the individual had antibiotic treatment, you would have thought that that would have kind of sterilized right. and killed off some of that dysbiotic flora, but it just shows how resistant. And um, that's what's quite concerning and why you want to be mindful that you're really taking a um, – comprehensive, multi-tiered approach to address this dysbiosis, which could be driving a lot of the inflammatory response. Okay. And then like we said, even beyond clearance of the actual virus, um, we can see this disruption of our gut microbiome likely driving a lot of the what's considered long haul response, right? Yeah. So we looked at a bunch of stool samples, 42 stool samples collected from 27 patients up to 30 days after testing negative for SARS-CoV-2. And they saw that um, there was depletion of the bifidobacterial species. And these are, you know, we think of the lacto and bifido species as the two most well-known probiotic strains out there. Um, and then we saw also that um, although 27 of them had recovered completely, um, they still had significantly distinct disrupted microbiome. And again, we're seeing both that lack of bifidobacteria as well as the excess or overgrowth of dysbiotic flora. And that's always going to then be present with these inflammatory markers like chemokines, cytokines, and other inflammatory disrupting compounds. The concern of this is that 
this can create constant influence of disease and inflammatory dysregulation, which is really one of the primary drivers of all of those noted symptoms that we just went through. Sure. And and we see another study here suggesting that gut dysbiosis may also be associated with recovery process um, following SARS-CoV infection and, and again, linking here to long COVID. Yes, it was a study that looked at microbial diversity not being restored to normal levels six months post-recovery in all of the stool samples that were assessed. That's so a long time. So I think that this says, you know, again, even if you aren't experiencing long haul, if you have had an infection of COVID, this would be time to really jump into the probiotic challenge and see how your body responds with known third-party tested potent formulas of lacto and bifido. Again, those are our most focused compounds. We know that these can actually regulate your natural killer cells. We've talked about how not only are probiotics nature's Prozac, but how probiotics also can reduce tumor activity in the body. I mean, there's so much of an influence that the microbiome has on inflammatory disease state and um, really ensuring that you're armed with the good guys is one way to get on track. But if we're talking about dysbiosis, having that ability to compete with the good flora setting up camp, we're also likely for most individuals talking about really resetting their microbiome in the first place. Yes, and I'm thinking about a couple of my like most severe long haul clients right now that I've worked with, and we have gone on to either do a stool test because I'm like, hmm, there's something there, um, or to go straight into that beat the bloat cleanse. And those are the ones I think that have gotten the most remarkable outcomes of like, I feel like myself again finally, yeah. and and maybe nothing was even like that off um, in a stool test. But I'm thinking of one patient in particular who had COVID and also had a very severe adverse. Uh, vaccine response and she had C. diff in her stool test and yeah. so like you know she was totally wiped out likely of, of all of the good guys and that's really an opportunistic very problematic infection that we usually see in a hospital setting. Yeah C. diff is one of those greater uh, antibiotic resistant mm-hmm. organisms that will unfortunately drive sepsis in a lot of elderly population because it just runs so rampant yeah. and is such a severe gut infection and likelihood of infection was probably due to that dysbiosis following the COVID infection sure. and then maybe the priming with the the spike from the vaccination that, that further exacerbated that. So, you know, I really do feel that reformulating the gut microbiome microbiome, excuse me, is going to emerge as a therapeutic target. And I think it's already kind of being impacted by individuals that are using antibiotics in their treatment modalities without even knowing that this is a Mm -hmm. gut microbiome influence. Um, But because there are so many bacteria resistant organisms out there, we really want to, again, take a multifactorial approach. Um, And this is because the gastrointestinal tract harbors a majority of our immune system. Again, I noted it as the GALT, the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. And it's really essential to keep this area nourished with the necessary nutrients, as well as fueled and pollinated, if you will, uh, with good, healthy microbiome strains that are well-known and tested. And we have that strain ID guarantee when we're looking at using a probiotic, but we also need to reduce conditions that would precipitate or drive or exacerbate dysbiosis. And that comes hand in hand with balancing in the diet. 
So the first thing that we would say when we're talking about microbiome imbalance is removing refined carbs. And this would also be processed sugars. We know that sugars actually take the immune system kind of off guard, if you will. Consumption of sugar can disarm our neutrophils or our white blood cells for upwards of five hours at a time. And so frequent grazing for sweets can really impair the immune response. Also, though, sugar not only drives blood sugar spikes, but sugar feeds dysbiotic flora, especially in the world of yeast strains. Yeast, like the Morganella species of yeast um, outside of Candida, which is the most kind of popular known, the Morganella species, um, which kind of have a yeast-leaning bacteria influence in the gut, um, often will be seen elevated in individuals post-COVID infection. And so really cutting your carbohydrates down to like 60 grams per day, removing any flour-based foods. Um, So we'd be going more of a paleo grain-free approach. Um, And then ensuring that you're getting protein and fat and non-starchy vegetables as the emphasis of your diet is going to be really important as kind of setting the tone for supporting good gut flora. And then we'd also want to bring in, like we said, supplemental support. So that herbal immune could certainly be twofold if there is um, exacerbation of respiratory issues, but also be supportive of removing this overgrowth of imbalanced flora. Um, And then the berberine boost as well would be kind of the other compound that we would start with there. And those are both a part of our beat the bloat bundle. Um, And then um, GI cleanup, the probiotic that you mentioned is really key to make space and and aid in cleaning up kind of that, you know, bacterial yeast viral debris, if you will. Absolutely. And then furthermore, we bring in the ultimate detox in that bundle. So that's the four compounds. So there's berberine boost, herbal immune, GI cleanup, and ultimate detox. And the ultimate detox is that phase two sulfur-containing amino acid suite that aids in the encapsulation and excretion. And this is really, you know, as we're moving out from, I want to talk a little more on the microbiome, but detoxification in your lymphatic system is going to play a huge role also in this recirculating, not taking out or draining the sewer, if you will, of the body. And when you're maintaining this recirculating of this viral debris or die-off, that also can continue to stimulate an immune response. It can drive autoimmune disruption in the body, and it can perpetuate that inflammatory response, which is often driving a lot of these symptoms. So I would say, you know, if if you know an individual in the household um, or even extended family or neighbors that are dealing with long haul I would have them check out our Beat the Bloat program. Um, It's only $29.99, so a really good entry point. It has two classes that are over an hour each in length. It also has our ebook, which has the protocol or kind of the rules and guidelines of the diet of the Beat the Bloat gut cleanse, as well as how to use the supplements. And then there's a lot of troubleshooting. We actually did a one page um, during this program of kind of highlighting what other tools you'd consider to layer in such as our inflammasome or do you need a detox pack to kind of level up beyond the ultimate detox and um, how to adjust the diet as well as supplement strategy if your bowels aren't moving or um, if things are moving too fast and you're having too much loose stool, what types of things to adjust and and modify. Um, So that's a really comprehensive program and would be a really great guide hand in hand with the Beat the Bloat bundle of supplements to take that microbiome to the next level. Yes, and, and really doing that either, you know, on the very tail end of 
infection um, to just prevent some of this long haul stuff because we know there's going to be some disruption of, of the microbiome um, or, you know, even months post infection, I think to just kind of reset everything. If you are dealing with some inflammatory symptoms or um, some exacerbation of those long COVID symptoms. Um, Absolutely. Let's hit maybe some food as medicine um, in addition to the restriction of carbs and, and removal of the, you know, refined carbohydrates and grains. What else can we do to support our microbiome? Yes. So one big thing that we'd go for is fiber. Uh, fiber is going to aid as a binder and detoxifier, but also as a fuel source for your good gut flora. So fiber, you know, is really non-digestible. And this is what we're looking at getting from whole food, plant-based sources that actually can be fermented by good gut flora as a prebiotic or a fuel source for energy. Um, When we consume ample fiber, we're going to see higher production of our short-chain fatty acids. And these have pleiotropic effects or multiple influencing effects in the body. So they can positively influence the epithelial barrier barrier. Um, Again, the epithelial barrier is that lining of the gut. And so earlier on, I was talking about how the dysbiosis itself, because of that overgrowth, can actually break down that epithelial lining, driving leaky gut and driving more of the pathogen into the bloodstream so that there's more of a systemic immune flare response, if you will. Well, When we get ample fiber in the diet and we produce short-chain fatty acids, these actually help to support lining and enhancing that epithelial barrier or preventing leaky gut, if you will. We also know that short-chain fatty acids that are produced can reduce pathogen uh, cytotoxicity. Um, And so if there is dysbiotic flora, there's going to be less of a chemical toxic response that would be produced by that harmful bacteria. And one of our short-chain fatty acids is butyrate, and butyrate itself has immune-modulating activities. In fact, we talked a couple episodes back um, when we were doing our KetoCon wrap-up about the keto-immune connection and how there's so many studies that show BHB or beta-hydroxybutyrate can actually enhance T-cell memory response. Um, We know that the BHB can actually have an epigenetic influence on our immunological response and on the inflammasome pathway in the body, which is a huge regulator of inflammation. So the butyrate produced in the colon by having healthy fiber in the presence of good gut flora can also improve this gut barrier function, enhance our innate immunity, and has this immune modulating activity. So pretty cool stuff there. And then we know themselves that the short chain fatty acids also have epigenetic effects and these can ultimately alter the immune cell function. So we're really looking to recommend trying to get at that 25 to 35 grams a day of fiber. One great way to do this is to consume chia seed. You can get about 10 grams per tablespoon of chia seed, your two to three cups of leafy greens, and then getting in at least a half cup of other non-starchy vegetables throughout your day. So this could be like shredded zucchini um, or cucumber slices in your salad with um, radish and um, cherry tomatoes, and then also getting nuts and seeds beyond the recommended chia seed to really achieve that 25 to 35 grams and that's why when we're baking 
using something like an almond flour or hazelnut flour, not only is that going to be more nutrient dense and lower glycemic than a gluten-free flour blend, but you're also going to be getting higher amounts of that fiber passively. And that's a great way to get that fiber into the household, especially if you add some flax or chia seed into your muffin recipe, um, a great way to start the day. Totally. And then we could layer on like our phytofiber if we needed yes. some additional um, support or having a hard time incorporating the chia and flax. Um, I often just have clients do, you know, one to two teaspoons of that in their morning smoothie and they're good to go. Yes. And I will say, don't mix your phytofiber with your relax and regulate and GI lining support. <laughs> I've had a couple of people try to do that. It's not going to um, work well with just water and powders. No. Yeah. It's it's, it's um, going to be stickier um, because it has has soluble and insoluble fiber in there. So if you aren't putting it in a smoothie or in your yogurt, then I would suggest mixing it with just nut butter and doing like some nut butter balls. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best way to get it in. It is a fine taste, but it's the texture added in water that's not going to fly for many people. Um, but phytofiber is such a beautiful add-on. That's why we incorporate that in our bacteria rebuild bundle following the beat the bloat. So once we've ensured that we have eradicated the dysbiosis, killed off the bad guys, now we want to kind of pollinate and also fertilize, if you will, with the good gut flora. So uh, probiotic rich foods are going to be key during this time of moving out of dysbiosis into abundance of good gut flora. And that works hand in hand with our fiber recommendation because the probiotics, again, use the fiber and make this really powerful short chain fatty acid fuel. Yes. And so we want to also be incorporating here probiotic rich foods. Um, We're looking at ferments such as yogurt, kefir, kimchi, miso, sauerkraut, all of our um, kind of favorite highlight staples and, and going for, you know, at least one probiotic rich food daily. Absolutely. And, um, you know, this is something that you could bring in now, again, even if you're on the fence of doing the gut cleanse, at least start working in your good Mm -hmm. flora place. If you don't know where your gut is at though, you might want to first do the probiotic challenge, starting with the restore baseline probiotic in our line before you bring in wild ferments. Um, because you know, there's a lot of, uh, variability going on with the cultured foods, but once you establish an assessment of where your microbiome is, and you know that, especially if you improved when you brought up that probiotic, than absolutely one per day and getting good diversity. We've seen that some of the metabolites from probiotics um, can actually help with the immune response and even reduce the incidence of the duration of respiratory infections. And one of the metabolites that was highlighted was alkyl uh, catechol. And um, that was one that was really highlighted as a secondary metabolite of cultured fermented foods and a big driver of reducing duration of respiratory infection. Also lactic acid, which is a byproduct of fermentation, um, has been shown to reduce pathogen growth in the oral cavity, the oropharynx, and the esophagus. Super cool stuff. Um, And then with probiotic um, supplementation, where would we kind of start with that? So you mentioned the probiotic challenge is a good way to kind of just get a feel for what's going on in the gut. 
Um, what if someone's not going to do that or they're, you know, a family member who's maybe not as open Motivated. to doing the, the beat the bloat cleanse. They're like six weeks is a long time, but I can take one thing. Yes. Um, where would you start them off? So especially during time of infection, I would start with the rebuild spectrum probiotic because this is the one that we think of as more of our immune supporter. This has a multiple strain approach as far as the word spectrum. So you're getting a wider spectrum support of a blend of lacto and bifido strains. Um, but then you're also going to get Saccharomyces boulardii in there, which will combat yeast overgrowth in the body. There's Lactoplanetarium V99, which aids in that epithelial lining of the gut or preventing the leaky gut. And I would do that rebuild spectrum probiotic during any time of any infection, one at rise and one at bed. And then um, once the infection has passed, you would complete that bottle with one daily. But when we're looking at the probiotic microorganisms that have been demonstrated to exhibit numerous beneficial effects on immunity, we really are highlighting the lactobacillus and the bifidobacterium. So I would quickly for that individual bring in the targeted strength probiotic. Um, this is four times the potency of our restore baseline, um, but the same two strains of the lactobacillus and bifidobacterium that have been most well researched. Um, so we're looking at such mechanisms of interacting with macrophages and enterocytes and dendritic cells. Um, we know that the lactobacillus and bifidum bacteria that is in the targeted strength probiotic actually aid in our toll-like receptors and the presentation of a pathogen to the immune system to aid in that acquired immune response. They also directly help with our T helper cells and our T regulatory cells in the body. And we've even seen mechanisms, like I said, natural killer cell response, which is more of an innate immune response, as well as even our interferon gamma levels, um, which we know are upregulated when the immune system is going to identify something as a foreign invader, including tumor activity in the body. So targeted strength probiotic would be our go-to big heavy hitter for cancer care, um, for long haul, um, for depression and anxiety, because that's the two strains also that are supportive for serotonin and GABA regulation in our uh, mood stability. But then again, the rebuild spectrum would be something we'd layer on during time of immune stress or infection. Sure. And then doing that to complete the entire bottle, at least yes. for those individuals. Um, and we've even seen that probiotics have been considered as an adjunct therapy for COVID-19 patients, um, with some research that suggests that large doses of probiotics may significantly improve disease symptoms, reduce inflammation, and again, help the gut microbiome recover from these abnormalities caused by COVID in the first place. Yes. So um, as Becky mentioned, you know, our probiotic challenge is going to be using our Restore Baseline 15 billion lacto bifido blend. And you work up in three-day increments and we have you take waste measurements and assess bloating, distension, bowel changes as you increase from 15 billion to 30 billion to 45 billion to 60 billion. But if you know that the individual is not going to be taking their tape measure and doing all the steps, start them with the Cadillac, put them on the big guns of the targeted strength, which is the 60 billion. And then once they're completely symptom-free, then you could see for affordability, do you need that full heavy sure. hit? Or maybe you do the probiotic challenge down the line or you rotate every other day, the restore and the targeted. Okay. That's a good place to kind of close out the microbiome conversation. Let's now talk about the role of oxidative stress and free radicals driving symptoms of 
long haul and what we can do about that. Yes. So antioxidants are going to aid in sequestering free radicals or reducing an oxidative stress response in the body. So antioxidants can actually destroy or neutralize free radicals and protect the integrity of cells. And this is important because when your immune system is in an active battle response, it's battling a virus or it's battling a pathogen, um, it's going to be making more free radicals in that battle. It's just like the dust that occurs if you're fighting. Um, And so you can kind of think of that as a um, good visual. So we know that antioxidants are really essential because they're going to aid in regulating the inflammatory response as well as help to modulate the host susceptibility to or the resistance to infectious pathogens because many of our antioxidant-rich compounds also have natural antimicrobial activities. So if we're thinking of garlic, if we're thinking of sulforaphane, which is in our broccoli sprout, we know that that can kill off H. pylori, for instance. Um, And so the beauty is you're getting kind of a dual influence when we're focusing on antioxidant-rich compounds. Um, And we know as a mechanism that neutrophils and macrophages are recognized to produce, again, superoxide-free radicals. Um, And so when our white blood cells are called into battle, they make free radicals as a byproduct of the battle response. And this is what makes it essential to have these antioxidants to actually defend the host against the inflammatory aftermath. Um, And so we can see as far as mechanisms, sulforaphane, for instance, which is the antioxidant compound in broccoli that we have featured in our broccoli detox supplement, um, that it actually can inhibit cytokine production from the NRF2 pathway. Um, It can actually activate antioxidant capacity, which can block the inflammatory response on a cellular level, and it can deactivate your NF-kappa-B, which also is another inflammatory pathway in the body. So there's multiple mechanisms of inhibiting, activating, or inactivating to maintain a um, a regulatory inflammatory response. Not shutting down inflammation because we need inflammation as a part of the battle, but ensuring that the inflammatory pathway is modulated and not in an overdrive mode. Okay. And this is where we're talking about sulfur-containing compounds, as you mentioned, the garlic, onion, leek family, um, sulforaphane-containing compounds like the broccoli sprouts, um, but also other cruciferous veggies and sprouts. Um, We're looking at green tea, pomegranate, olive as kind of some of those high players of antioxidants. Um, Resveratrol here, cranberries, mulberries, lingonberries, and wine. Um, Mm -hmm. And then herb seasonings, spices like turmeric and ginger, oregano, thyme, cacao, cumin, cloves. Um, And this all sounds like a 10-day detox would be in order. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, we've just seen time and time again that polyphenols actually improve the immune function because they exhibit this protective role on the infection by regulating its inflammatory oxidative stress response. So an antioxidant-rich diet would be key. And, you know, when we are in a time of active infection, not a time to have the cakes and the sweets and the the comfort foods, give or take. This is a time to go for a smoothie with grass-fed whey 
because we also know that our non-denatured grass-fed whey has lactoferrin in it, which has really promising outcomes with long haul specifically and and really with just COVID in general. Um, We've seen lactoferrin has antiviral effects and it can aid in prevention of viral replication as well as viral entry. And so if we aren't getting as much circulating virus in the body we're not replicate we're not allowing the the virus to replicate we're not allowing it to get into the cells in the first place the less severe of the outcomes and so getting in that naturally nourished grass-fed whey with some of these resveratrol rich berries sipping on your green tea um, using your olive oil and maybe making something like my bacteria battling chimichurri um, which we highlight in the anti-anxiety diet and the beat the bloat cleanse um, would be a really great way to get a lot of those herb seasoning spices in that olive oil with that garlic um, and calorie dense but you know you don't have to put that on a big green salad maybe in the beginning that could just be something that you're putting on top of a burger even um, as an easy onset delivery and you could even blend that chimichurri with a little bit of full fat Greek yogurt to get a probiotic in the diet sure, too yeah, and, yeah. and that makes Thanks a really a lovely dip. dip yep okay um, and you know we're all being exposed time and time again so let's let's talk about um, reducing viral entry and replication and kind of what we should be doing on a regular maintenance basis knowing that this thing is not going away. I think of our BioC Plus as a really effective tool and something likely not to just pulse in at times of immune distress, but like to keep on hand ongoing. As a foundation, for sure. And and I think so getting the grass-fed whey because of the lactoferrin again, and then you're also getting immunoglobulins. That's one that I would say four times a week get a scoop of grass-fed whey in. This is for a non-symptomatic individual now. If you're dealing with active long haul, I would say with the grass-fed whey, you'd want to go upwards of like one and a half scoops daily. Um, And then if we're talking about supplementing uh, with the BioC Plus, the big highlights here are quercetin and vitamin C. Um, So there's a study called Quercetin and Vitamin C, an experimental synergistic therapy for the prevention and treatment of SARS-CoV-2 related disease. Um, and we know that these compounds have the ability to bind to our toll-like receptors to prevent the binding of the virus to be carried into the cells. Um, these compounds can increase natural killer cells. In fact, vitamin C alone at two grams a day can increase natural killer proliferation 2000 plus fold. Um, and I just kind of highlighted the excerpt from this study, um, which I think is uh, really well written it says a multi-drug approach with quercetin and vitamin c may disrupt virus entry replication enzyme activity and assembly and concurrently fortify the immune response promoting early ifn's production and that's your interferon production modulating interleukins promoting t-cell maturation and phagocytic activity Quercetin and ascorbic acid co-administration represents an experimental strategy for prophylaxis and treatment of several respiratory diseases such as SARS-CoV-2. The blockage of virus entry represents a key strategy and quercetin impedes viral membrane fusion for both influenza and SARS-CoV-2 in vitro. So we're looking at like one BioC plus twice daily as just a maintenance dose. And then if you are exposed to someone who is actively ill and we're looking again to block that viral um, entry in the first place, but certainly block and reduce replication, which that will mean you'll have less severity, less severe symptoms, or maybe not notice them at all. 
or the symptoms won't persist as long. Um, we're looking at two to three grams. So each bio C plus is about 600 milligrams of vitamin C. Um, so we'd be looking at like four to six of those a day during active infection. And you can go higher than that, um, even really to bowel tolerance with the bio C plus. Um, and then food wise, we'd be looking at obviously citrus as a really rich source of vitamin C, um, our greens, our bell peppers, um, kamu kamu, which is, um, available as a powder to be added to smoothies and, mm-hmm. and really rich whole food form of vitamin C. Um, berries are fantastic. Um, rooibos tea. And I'm thinking of a combination of like rooibos as the base for a smoothie, yeah. um, with grass fed whey could be fabulous. Um, tomatoes, cruciferous veg, um, as our vitamin C rich foods. And then in the quercetin family, we're looking at onions, particularly red onions have high levels of quercetin, um, apples and particularly the apple skins, making sure they're organic, um, grapes, berries, broccoli, again, the citrus fruits, um, cherries, green tea, coffee, red wine, and capers. Yes. So tons of food is medicine abundance there. And then you'd use the bio C plus, like you said, two a day as a maintenance of just being around in a time of endemic, <laughs> of constant exposure. Um, and then you'd go up to, yeah, four to six kind of to bowel tolerance. That's the deal there. And then when we're looking on antioxidants specifically, of course, we have to acknowledge in this hierarchy of antioxidants, vitamin C is kind of the little kid sister. And then um, up at the top hierarchy of antioxidants is going to be glutathione at the tip top. And right below glutathione, one of its building blocks, NAC or N-acetylcysteine. And these two players have a huge role in detoxification pathways, as well as, of course, because they're the top antioxidant, they're going to have the most efficacy of scavenging free radicals. So that whole influence we just spoke to with the bio C plus um, and the use of the quercetin and vitamin C, we're not going to see specific to these compounds that viral replication or inhibition of entry, but we're going to see a lot of unique outcomes for respiratory virus specifically. So we see the scavenging of free radicals and an even more effective impact with the NAC and glutathione. We see suppression of cytokine storm from regulating that oxidative stress. We see detoxification support, which can really help with that long haul because when there's stagnation in our lymphatic system, we see more of a prolonged inflammatory response. Uh, We see T-cell production for natural immunity from these compounds. We actually see specifically repairing lung tissue capabilities in the world of glutathione, um, increased oxygenation, which is key, and then the fact that N-acetylcysteine can serve as an expectorant, so helping with runny nose, phlegm, and congestion. And I know that that's a big one that we see often as a prolonged, that just ongoing congestion effect. Um, So there's actually a study that was put out in therapeutics and clinical risk management called N-acetylcysteine to combat COVID-19, an evidenced review. And um, they noted all of those different mechanisms of action. Uh, There was another study that I referenced during my uh, lecture on the immune system on glutathione deficiency and its ability to actually prevent mortality. We know that individuals that have endogenous levels of glutathione that are in a clinical deficient state, um, that means the levels inside their body, um, which we know that glutathione will progressively decline with age in general, 
because it's an antioxidant. So we're all aging and getting more oxidized. Um, but we know lower levels of glutathione in individuals, of course, greater than age 65, especially those though that have an inadequate protein intake and insufficient consumption of fresh fruits and vegetables, especially in the glutathione-rich choices, which is going to be more of the sulfurous, uh, cruciferous family of the choices. Um, we know that glutathione levels generally can be lower in um, women than in men. Um, and then we know oxidative stressors like cigarette smoking and uh, toxic exposure in cities can further deplete glutathione levels. And then there's a lot of medications um, that can drive interaction with further exacerbating glutathione deficiency. So we know individuals uh, that, or disease states in general, so individuals that suffer from type 2 diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, um, and liver disease and cancer are going to have a higher risk factor of infection because of that lower glutathione level. And we do know that consuming the S-acetyl form of glutathione that is in our cellular antioxidants is biologically available and does enhance the um, levels of glutathione status in the body. So we can actually see the cellular antioxidants as a huge player as well, and that's probably been the main one that we yeah. have spoke to in all pandemic times. Um, and it's also the one though that is highest risk factor of um, being removed from um, the shelves because of a threat from the FDA. Um, not sure if that's because the the information we're seeing on the efficacy and you know this is a multi billion dollar industry right. that wants to make they want money. Some of that, <laughs> and they'd have to turn it into a medication. They'd have to, you yep. know, change the substance as we've talked about. You can't patent just a natural occurring mm -hmm. substance, um, and then create a patent. But they've gone after NAC, and then recently um, talking about going after glutathione as well so like you can't get knack on amazon i haven't done a search recently for glutathione mm -hmm. on its own but i imagine that's coming um so far we've been able to preserve um our ability to sell cellular antioxidants but you always mm -hmm. want to have a backup bottle of that one especially yeah. if someone in the family does come down with you know whatever this latest variant is i had to overnight it to my mom who had everything else but that i was like, you're like you, what you're missing the most important thing uh, when yeah. she recently had a, a bout of COVID, and we're looking at probably two capsules a day just as a maintenance dose one twice daily and then during active infection i'd go to that like four to six kind Absolutely. of same as the cellular antioxidants and you might go higher sure. again if dealing with long haul yes. actively yep. even if you're testing negative we're still seeing that oxidative stress response so that's where maybe then the bio c plus would be at four and the cellular antioxidant at four until you're not dealing with these symptoms totally and especially if like the lungs are implicated or there's ongoing conge congestion or ongoing loss of um, smell and taste. I've seen that a lot linked to the antioxidant depletion yes, as well. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. And then beyond these anti-inflammatory botanicals, which would be abundant um, in detox, you know, specifically for um, long haul and the world of tissue inflammation, let's talk about proteolytic enzymes. So these would hit on some of the other issues of blood clotting, myocarditis, um, even, you know, mental illness and increased anxiety as, as part of the long haul, um, symptoms that we're seeing. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of the anti-inflammatory botanicals when you're doing our 10 day detox. Um, or if you're, you know, doing the beat the bloat cleanse and following that food as medicine protocol, you're going to get good support, um, 
overall as far as getting a lot of these um, phyto compounds, but proteolytic enzymes are going to be a really powerful player when we're talking about tissue inflammation um, and especially the risk factors in cardiovascular world. So proteolytic enzymes are going to reduce um, blood clot formation and tissue inflammation. They are immunostimulatory and they can also regulate so they can put out both stimulatory and immunosuppressive signals. And what we're talking about is um, like your ceratopeptidases um, and your bromelain and papain. Um, these are enzymes that are not digestive. Um, and so proteolytic enzymes are going to be compounds that are taken separated from food and they will help to regulate that inflammatory response on a tissue level. So we think of this especially for individuals that are dealing with body aches um, or more of that kind of brain fog headache um, or chronic fatigue. This would be a big um, powerful player and there was actually a study called a randomized controlled trial of the efficacy of systemic enzymes and probiotics in the resolution of post-COVID fatigue and they saw individuals that used a quality lactobifido probiotic such as our targeted strength and a quality systemic enzyme formula such as the dosage in our inflammazyme um, that compared to the control arm symptom uh, reduction occurred as early as four days whereas those using the placebo symptoms persisted 14 plus mm -hmm. days um, and so pretty remarkable when they also tested with long haul bringing these compounds in and saw quick symptom resolution Yes, and so our inflammasome in our line would be um, the supplement that combines those proteolytic enzymes along with some turmeric, and there's actually quercetin in there as well. So you don't have to go out and find like a separate quercetin supplement. Yeah. Um, yep. There's resveratrol. There's um, ginger in there. So a lot of these compounds, and and that's become one of our higher recommendations. I think um, as we've seen the variants of COVID really progress, and as we've seen you know more of the implication of like body aches and stiffness and you know ongoing like joint pain and swelling um, so that would be used you know during active infection I think six to nine of those yeah. a day mm -hmm. um, very you know safely um, and then you know for uh, chronic kind of long-haul stuff I'd still stick to like at least four to six a day yeah yeah I think that'd be really appropriate um, let's finally hit maybe on the, the stress connection to yeah. infection. So when we're thinking about like who is going to be most susceptible to long haul, you know, when we're stressed, the immune system's ability to fight off antigens and, and, you know, ability, um, to fight with white blood cells are reduced. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why we're often more susceptible to infection, like after a big major yes. stressor, good stress, bad stress, you know you name it. Um, let's hit a couple of those key mechanisms. Yes. So our adrenals, which are kind of the star of the stress story in a gland space in the body, our adrenals um, will use cortisol as a primary stress hormone and cortisol can actually suppress immune function. So it can regulate inflammation to some level, but it will inhibit the immune response. 
Um, we also know that, that we can see lower lymphocyte or white blood cell response when the adrenal glands are in an overdrive mode. And then we can see an increase of blood sugar because cortisol is also a glucocorticoid. And then that sugar peak is going to exacerbate already that free radical activity in the body, drive more damage on a cellular level. And also that blood sugar spike can interfere with that gut flora balance that we talked about earlier. So um, we want to modulate or regulate the adrenals versus have them in an overdrive fight or flight response. Um, We know that when our body is in a parasympathetic, which is that safe place, sympathetic is the fight or flight mode, parasympathetic is rest, digest, um, also body temperature regulation, metabolism, hormone management, all that parasympathetic function is also where autophagy occurs. And this is really necessary because we need our cells to be able to do away with the debris from pathogen once that pathogen's been identified as a foreign invader and we upregulate a white blood cell response, we also need to take out the trash. Um, so our zen mellow out place, if we find a parasympathetic balance, is where we'll upregulate that detox pathway of the immune system. We also know that during stress times, we can get wear and tear in our gut, so we can be more prone towards ulcerations, and we see depletion of glutamine. Um, Glutamine is a building block to make that glutathione, so really important for that. Glutamine also plays a big role as a building block for our gut cells, and that's where that GALT or that gut-associated lymphatic tissue resides. So we really want to be considering things like GI lining support if we know that we're someone that hold stress in their gut or we get um, nausea easier or uh, more rawness sensation at times of stress. Um, Focusing on the GI lining support and bone broth would be really powerful for those individuals. Um, We know that stress can deplete our B vitamins as well as our vitamin C. And we just talked about the importance of vitamin C and of all the tissues in the body, the highest amount of vitamin C is actually stored in your adrenal glands. So a stressed individual is burning through vitamin C and it won't be as available to help to regulate those free radicals or to aid in a healthy immune response. And then beyond the leaky gut response to stress, we also know that stress itself can drive sterility of the lacto and bifida flora, which sets up opportunity of that overgrowth of the dysbiosis and that whole microbiome imbalance. So I would highly advise, especially if dealing with anxiety or depression at this time or brain fog, the first line of defense would be the calm and clear. In our line, this is going to have a suite of B vitamins as well as L-theanine. L-theanine is an amino acid that aids in alpha brainwave activity, so concentration and focus without agitation and anxiety. And then we're going to get nervine and adaptogen herbs in here. So there's some ashwagandha in here. You're going to get some lemon balm and you're going to get chamomile. Um, So calming nervines, which aid in mellowing out the stress response, as well as adaptogens to help with resilience to stress. And if dealing with fatigue, I would also on top of the calm and clear layer in our adaptogen boost, which has cordyceps, 
rhodiola and ginseng and these three compounds themselves have been shown to be very supportive for viral infections so cordyceps has been used from traditional chinese medicine as a tonic to soothe the lungs um, for treatment of fatigue or respiratory diseases Um, it was used uh, for relief of lung fibrosis which occurred after sars Uh, rhodiola has been shown to regulate that adrenal gland function and encourage a healthy response to emotional stress and rhodiola also has some antiviral compounds and then ginseng um, aids in immune homeostasis or kind of modulating that immune response bringing it back into a balanced state as well as enhancing resistance to illness and um, reducing microbial attacks um, on an immune effect um, and so this would be a big piece of the puzzle with the calm and clear to stay in that parasympathetic space, aid in your nervous system feeling safe so you're not putting out those stress hormones, which can further exacerbate the long haul or the side effects that are undesired. Sure. Um, and, and used, you know, during the slump of COVID too to, to combat some of that fatigue, but certainly in that post um, world of, of things that probably like four a day or so of the adaptogen boost. Yeah. Um, Yep. All right. And then beyond stress, um, we know that sleep is really key for regulating this parasympathetic you know, nervous system and, and aiding in our immune response. We've talked about the importance of melatonin some, but let's just kind of reemphasize there. Yeah. So melatonin has the ability to freely pass into the cell uh, where it upregulates our NRF2 transcription. Um, and this is our nuclear factor um Uh, two and this basically will aid in boosting endogenous antioxidant production so melatonin itself is an antioxidant and it can help with regulating those glutathione levels especially i would say for elderly parents this is where like our sleep support could be a really great formula if they've noticed restless nights or sleeplessness following covid infection because again you're not just getting sedative impact you're getting an antioxidant which is going to further support cellular health and then our sleep support has um, in two tablets three milligrams of melatonin along with herbs that are nervines or calming to the nervous system. So skullcap is one of the featured herbs that has therapeutic effects. So it's an antioxidant itself. Um, It has anti-inflammatory effects and it is antiviral. Um, And there's been, um, there's a study that actually looked specifically at its ability to have activities against SARS and coronaviruses. Um, Skullcap is also going to be um, a relaxer for our vascular system and prevent platelet aggregation or basically stickiness um, or blood clot formation in the body. Um, And we saw that uh, Skullcap as a tool could actually reduce the expression and activity of the ACE receptors. And again, remembering that that's a key target for the spike protein. So another powerful mechanism beyond just kind of mellowing out. Yes. So really good tool, I think, in active infection when you just want to like knock yourself out for, you know, a day or or two, um, taking, you know, at least two of those sleep support at bed and maybe even two during the day if you're just looking to kind of rest the body and get as much sleep as humanly possible. Um, And then one to two is kind of the ongoing dosage. 
And then just to reiterate, you know, if we're seeing fever prolonging beyond active infection, then that's definitely showing that the immune system is not back in that Mm -hmm. homeostasis balanced mode. So we don't want to use an antipyritic drug to cut a fever because the fever is there for a reason. Maybe there is more debris left over and we need to do that 10-day detox and then work with, again, the kind of key hits of get going with that quality probiotic so the targeted strength or the rebuild spectrum if dealing with current immune or post-immune time the targeted strength would be kind of the post-immune and then looking at the proteolytic enzyme suite um, and considering if you need to do that beat the bloat cleanse um, the proteolytic enzyme suite would be the inflammasome and then we're looking at also um, supporting detox pathways with our detox packs so the reset restore renew detox packs that's what I've seen in clinic to be the greatest tool when an individual is dealing with a prolonged fever mm-hmm. to really get that pathogen debris out so that their body can go back to that homeostasis. But a part of that could also be the stress management. Sure. So that's where that calm and clear kind of tells the body that it can go into that parasympathetic space, that it is safe. Um, and that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, so don't worry about treating the fever. Look at that as a symptom of imbalance and how you can support your sy- system and in getting back into balance. Um, and in, in another area of faux pas and what we're seeing again already <laughs> is the return of face masks. Um, there was a study that came out um, just last week, which I was excited to see. Um, that showed um, that you know face masks are still one of the most significant and controversial symbols in the fight against COVID-19. Um, this looked at two randomized clinical trials um, and noted you know that there were mixed results in them. We've discussed both of those trials on past episodes, but this was a big observation study that encompassed 602 million people. It analyzed countries that underwent a peak of COVID-19 infection during a six-month window, um, and they looked at mask usage um, throughout um, Western Europe and um, throughout um, East and West Europe, excuse me. Um, And again, this was 602 million people that the study looked at, and they found no cause and effect conclusion could be inferred from the observational analysis. The lack of negative correlation between mask usage in COVID-19 cases and deaths suggests that widespread use of masks at a time when an effective intervention was most needed um, was not able to reduce COVID-19 transmission. Moreover, the moderate positive correlation between mask usage and deaths in Western Europe may also suggest that the universal use of masks may have had harmful unintended consequences. And so again, it's going back to that concept that I've held since the beginning, that for the history of science, we never used cloth masks or PPEs to regulate respiratory infection or to prevent respiratory infection because particle size is so small, they're going to evade these compounds, and this is going to interfere with our innate immune response to be able to cough out or clear pathogen from our own systems, and that there are known risks, especially when we're talking about speech pathology or the human experience, mental health, um, the learning experience for our children, and so much more. And so I still stand very strong on that. They're not net neutral, they're net harmful. Um, And we're really not seeing any beneficial outcomes from use. So I would say stick to your guns as your children go back to school. 
um, on holding your ground and ensuring that they do have a safe place to learn where they're also able to express themselves uh, non-verbally with their smiles on a daily basis and they're able to hug and connect with their peers um, because this is endemic. It is everywhere. Um, we cannot run from it or block our faces from it or isolate from it. We need to switch the conversation into how to empower ourselves. And that comes down to supporting a robust microbiome, regulating the oxidative stress with phytocompounds and antioxidants, and supporting your body's detox pathways while harnessing your body's fight or flight stress response. So I hope today had a couple aha tips for you. Um, if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you go on over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening and leave us a five-star review um, and uh, give us maybe a couple sentences on what you're loving. And we will catch y'all next week. You can find everything we discussed over at AllieMillerRD.com, including the products, which we'll have linked in the show notes and the programs such as the 10-Day Detox and Beat the Bloat Gut Cleanse. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.